Hello, and welcome to the Leading with Andrew show with me, Andrew. I'm so glad you're here. This is a show all about communication and the universal motivation to get better at it. So whether you are an established speaker or you are facilitating to top executives, or you just want to get better at articulating what it is that you want, I promise you an energized dose of tips and tools. Every episode, I bring you guests who are extraordinary communicators across several industries. So let's get into it. Today, my guest is Jim Stenman. Jim Stenman is a Dubai-based media professional with extensive industry experience. He has spent more than seven years at CNN International producing original content for CNN.com, social media, and CNN's flagship news program, Connect the World with Becky Anderson. Most recently, he contributed to the network's coverage of Pope Francis' historic visit to the Arabian Peninsula, ongoing efforts to save the Iran nuclear deal, and joined the U.S. Navy on an exclusive embed in the Persian Gulf. Prior to moving to the UAE, Jim focused on telling the new African story by profiling those making a name for themselves across business, arts, and entertainment. This included personally interviewing South African comedian Trevor Noah in one of his first major features before being named host of The Daily Show. Jim is fluent in Swedish and is from just outside Stockholm. He studied journalism in the US and the UK and earned a degree in journalism from the University of Bedfordshire. Jim, welcome to the Leading with Andrew podcast. Thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. Now, going through what I've just read about that synopsis, you Mm. have had an incredible career so far. Was there a defining moment where you thought, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to get into communication and this is what it looks like. Yeah, I mean, I think I I grew up in a fairly small town in in Sweden. I did watch far too much TV growing up, (laughs) if you you were to ask my my mother. Um, So naturally, I always had a massive interest in the English language um, due to my mother's background. So my mom is from Ethiopia, my father's Swedish, and standing out, looking different, growing up in uh, in a nation of blondes, essentially, I, I always felt that if, if I was able to master the English language, that would allow me to connect with the rest of the world, uh, including Africa. So I think I didn't really think of it along those terms back then, but I definitely wanted to make English a priority because I I knew that it would open up the world to me. And then, yeah, I did fall into journalism eventually. Fall into journalism. I love that. Um, What have been, you you must have interviewed some incredible people. What has been one of your favorite interviews up until this point? I mean, I would say that interview with Trevor Noah was quite memorable. Uh, I can't remember how many years ago it was, but this was when he started... uh, he started appearing on on U.S. late night uh, TV, so this was probably I would imagine a year and a half, maybe two years before uh, before he got his gig with The Daily Show, and it's interesting, right? I mean, I, I think that he was clearly a big name in in South Africa at the time, and um, CNN they had they still do uh, have several sponsored shows that focus mm-hmm. on Africa, so I thought it was a no brainer getting him on on African Voices, especially as someone that I predicted was going to be quite a big deal in, uh, in the future. So it was, uh, it was a great interview. I could tell that I, I felt like initially he probably didn't feel that comfortable with me, but it's interesting, as soon as he realized that I was mixed race as well, his whole demeanor just changed. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's really interesting. Um, 
I'm going to pick on something you said mm. there, and that is he wasn't quite comfortable in mm. the beginning. What were those signals that you picked up on that made you think that? I mean, it might just be a case of him being shy back in the day. I'm not, I'm not sure. But it was definitely an icebreaker, and I could tell how the mood shifted completely once that became clear and he started making fun of me and my my accent. Uh, <laughs> so and I think that's what you need to do when you're interviewing people. You just need to take the human approach. Don't be too formal. Be a human being. Try to find some common ground with people. And I, I think sometimes because of how I speak and how I come across, others might make wild assumptions mm -hmm. um, about me, but they don't necessarily ring true. Okay, well, that's the natural human experience, right? We've got to we've got to judge people within seven seconds so that mm. we can feel comfortable, uncomfortable with them. I'm um, talking about the interview process. Mm -hmm. How do you prepare for an interview with a guest, a high profile guest like Trevor Noah or uh, Emirates CEO Tim Clark? I, th I think it's a very different approach depending on you know the the context in which you're interviewing someone. With Trevor Noah, it was a half hour profile piece on him so we needed to capture his whole his full story basically you know beginning a middle and and an end so you do want to make sure that you cover as much ground as possible the interview itself might be an hour and a half and then what you get on tv is perhaps 22 minutes oh wow um so that's that's it's a different approach if it's if it's a feature on the individual but you have to you have to think backwards, right? How long is the piece that I'm producing? If you know that you're producing a half-hour show, then you're going to need a lot more material. I think with Tim Clark, who's the CEO of Emirates, I can't remember the story that we were covering, but I think it was probably something that was quite newsy. It wasn't a feature on him. It was him reacting to something that was happening in, in the aviation industry. And um, so I was producing that interview for CNN's Emerging Markets editor at the time, John Defterius, who used to be based here in the UAE. And um, I think the interview itself probably wasn't more than seven minutes. Okay. So pretty pretty quick interview, and then you connect everything using a voiceover. Mm -hmm. um, I think when you're doing these high-profile interviews, obviously you're checking for news lines. You're checking for anything that's going to get a lot of attention. So... I came from more of a digital background when I came over to the UAE, so I just had to, I had to get used to working on TV. Which I mean, t with TV, it's it's a different beast. So yeah, it just depends on what you're producing. But I think across board, just try to connect with people on a human level. I that, love that. That's what's gonna get you those sound bites, and um, I think. If, if you take that approach in everything that you do, even if you're covering business, you'd be surprised with, with the answers and the output. Oh, wow. That's really interesting. Um, and I think a lot of people don't know that, particularly for people that are starting a YouTube channel or mm. starting a podcast. And we were talking about it before we actually started recording mm. is how long is the podcast going to be? And when you were saying a 30 minute feature is sometimes an hour and a half of recording, but you said something that's really cool there, which I've never heard before. Mm. And that is a... You, the way that you do the feature or the way that you record is you listening for those news bites. Mm -hmm. I think you said those 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 mm -hmm. news pieces that's mm -hmm. going to gain that attention. So mm -hmm. you're almost preparing for something like that working backwards. 
exactly. what you're saying. Yeah, you're thinking about what you want from the end product and that's how you interview. Exactly. And a lot of people generally just run into something where they're like, okay, I'm just going to go and record. And there's, there's, no, there's no planning that goes into that. You mentioned a little bit about uh, being a producer and we were speaking about it earlier before mm. we started recording that mm. you started on the producing side um, and I read it in your synopsis as well. You started on the producing side before you got in front of the camera. What, what does a producer do? Talk us through a little bit about what a producer does. Obviously, it depends on what sector of the media industry that you work in. If, if you're working in news, you are essentially supporting the reporter or, or the news presenter. So you do research, you write questions, you might even write the script, which is something that I found really surprising okay. when I first entered the industry. I remember doing a, an internship with CNN many years before I joined the company. And I, I found that a little bit disappointing when I realized that, you know, the um, a report by a very world-renowned anchor, uh -huh. um, the script had been written by someone else. This is quite a common practice, uh, but obviously as a reporter, you still have to stand for the research and, and, and so on. But yeah, you, you, su you, support the, um, you support the reporter, you support the, um, the anchor, you make their life easier you sit down with the editor um throughout the editing period so it just it gives you a really strong foundation that you can that you can build on and you're you're crucial actually when it comes to delivering the the final product and i think part of the reason why you need a producer especially if you're a high profile journalist broadcast journalist is it's a lot of work and things need to be checked and you might be covering several stories at the same time. So that's where it's handy to, to have producers. And obviously, if you work for a major network, you will have one, if not several producers okay. working for you. I mean, you, you've got several stories. And I, mm. I think that's for a producer, for an anchor to mm. stay on top of all of that must be challenging. It is challenging. I, th I think there's more pressure on the reporter and the anchor, especially if they're fronting live programming, because um, things go wrong. There's going to be technical glitches. There will be issues. You have to be across the latest news lines and things like that, because ultimately, if something goes wrong, they're the ones that are going to suffer. Um, sometimes producers do a lot of work, but they don't necessarily get the credit for it. So it's a little bit of a double-edged sword in that sense. It's like songwriters in the music industry. Mm. You know, the singer gets all the praise or the artist gets all the praise and the songwriter. I think only really recently do people get recognized as songwriters outside of award ceremonies. But that's so interesting. I think, I think what's interesting about that is I respect singer-songwriters more. Okay. And it's the same thing with journalism, right? If, if you're working as a reporter or a news anchor, if you come from a producing background, I think it makes you a better journalist because you understand the whole process whether you do it yourself or not on a daily basis is a different question but i think once you understand the, the whole process research questions maybe even filming and doing some of the editing yourself it just um it makes you respect the people that you work with and that work for you and um yeah you're just more versatile i think you you also and human nature as well mm you also value the end mm. product a lot more because you've put the effort into editing. Mm -hmm. And editing is not easy. Post-production is not easy at all it's because there's, there's so much that you've got to keep in mind. Mm. Um, and are you getting the right message across? Because the message, depending on where you cut and where you edit, can completely yeah. change um, mm. 
starting from what the intention was mm -hmm. to what the output was. That's, that's really interesting. Then you made the transition from producer to in front of the camera. Mm. And how's that been going? Um, I, th I think it's challenging. It's, it's an adjustment. Um, you become a lot more self-aware, as I mentioned to you before. Um, it's, it's, I think for me, it was a little bit tricky initially once I started seeing myself on camera. I had done stuff for CNN in the past on camera. I've done other sort of uh, broadcast on camera work, but it's, not, it, it's, like it, it's a muscle that you have to train um, on a daily or a weekly basis so um no it's been it's been fine it's been an adjustment <laughs> i've been doing it for a couple of years now yep. so I, I just think you need to be very kind to yourself because it's so easy to be overly critical and analyze every single thing that might be slightly off but you're not helping yourself you're, you're not helping the process and i think a lot of when it comes to going on camera it's not about perfection it's not about having a perfect voice. It's not about looking perfect. In fact, I think sometimes those things can be distracting. I think it's more about the energy that you um, that you give off um, to uh, to the person interviewing you or or the camera, because that's ultimately what people connect with. And it doesn't matter what background you're from. Sure, if you're flicking through the channels and you see someone attractive, you might be more likely to kind of you know stay on that channel. Yeah, but. I think ultimately content is king, but delivery is really important as well. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I mean, you, you mentioned something there that it's just, it's incredibly beautiful in a way mm. that you've got to show yourself some self-compassion. I remember when I first saw myself on camera, I did mm. a, um, an audition for a lifestyle television program in South mm. Africa called Top Billing. And... I completely messed it up. I had three tries and I had to walk across the room and I had to say a particular thing about um, Singapore and fashion in Singapore. It was like a, a lifestyle coverage of fashion in Singapore. And mm -hmm. that, I, I messed it up completely. Mm -hmm. But now when I think back, I can do that script. Like if you throw a bucket of cold water on me at three o'clock in the morning and go, do the top billing audition, mm -hmm. um, I would probably be able to do it with, with, um, without a doubt. But I, I wasn't able to watch myself on camera for quite a while because I immediately went into what you were mentioning. You're looking at everything that you're doing wrong. And I think that stops a lot of people uh, getting in front of a camera or, you know, hitting record on their mobile phones. But, but I'm also assuming that you just memorized the lines or did you create those lines yourself? Oh, no, no, I memorized. We had to memorize. Yeah. But because of nerves, I completely... Mm. And I, I didn't know what I looked like on camera. So mm -hmm. uh, this was something that we were talking about with Monique as well, mm. where when I see in public speakers mm. or people that are podcasting or mm. do, uh, doing a YouTube show, mm -hmm. they tend to worry if you're not experienced or you don't know what you look like when mm. you are presenting or speaking you tend to focus on what you look like. So you get really awkward Absolutely. and you don't know where to look. And yeah. what you were talking about with connection with guests, mm. you lose that because you're so focused on what you what you look like. Mm. So the, I say to people all the time, I do camera work with a lot of, um, with a lot of people because 
that's what you look and that's what you sound mm. like. And I think mm. the journey to loving yourself, completely different topic and different podcasts, but the whole journey to loving yourself starts with accepting what you look and sound like. Mm -hmm. And that's when you're able to focus on the message, particularly in a formal speaking mm -hmm. gig or formal speaking anywhere is when you know what you look like, you focus on the message, which means you are focusing on your audience. Mm -hmm. Do you have just out of curiosity, mm. do you have any rituals that you do before you get on camera? I mean, it depends on what I'm going to be filming, but I, I tend to go to the barbershop beforehand <laughs> <laughs> to just sort out my, my, my grooming because ultimately that's something that makes me more confident um, on, on camera. Knowing the topic obviously helps as well. But I think beyond those things, I try not to overthink it. Because, and this is something that I've started doing recently, so I'm moderating panel discussions, okay. whether it's in the UAE or, or Africa. I think if I spend too much time focusing on what I look like, it's going to distract from the big picture. And I need to know my yeah. That's ultimately what it comes down to. So if you can, I mean, maybe, I don't know, do whatever it takes for you to feel more confident and comfortable on on camera at least with me knowing that you know i got a fresh haircut uh, groomed my facial hair um it it just it it allows me to focus on other things that That's... are much more important because ultimately you need to know what you're talking about and i'm i mean you you, you mentioned memorizing a script mm -hmm. good for you i think a lot of people do that especially if you're on on camera talent or a TV presenter, I think when you're doing journalism, it's a little bit different because mm. you, it's your work at the end of the day. It's your script, it's your lines. You have to stand for everything that you, that you say. So that is something that I really embrace and I would struggle to deliver on someone else's script because I have to put my own spin on it. And I think part of what I do and this this has always been the case with me. I, I don't want to say that I dumb things down, but I, I just try to focus on the human angle. Because again, that's how you connect with people. But not just that. Even, even if you're interviewing a, a CEO, I mean, I spoke to one of the most senior persons, um, executives at Safaricom, and they've expanded into Ethiopia. Took the same approach. Obviously, I'm, I'm not an expert when it comes to the telco industry, but I know the big picture. I know what it means in terms of their expansion into Ethiopia because they've had a state monopoly on, on those things. But ultimately, what you want to get to is how is this going to impact mm -hmm. people? They're going to have more choice. Um, and what does that mean for the economy? What does it mean for businesses? He was South African, so you're coming in as an outsider. Uh -huh. What are your impressions of Ethiopia? Is it even comparable to South Africa or other parts of Africa? And I think by asking those questions, even if you end up excluding the answers from the final piece, you're going to be able to make that human connection. And if you're able okay. to make the human connection in the first five minutes or maybe even first two minutes, I think you're off to a really good start. Do you have any go-to questions in the bank of to build that rapport with a guest from the get-go? I don't. I mean, I'd, I'd like to think that I have pretty good general knowledge mm -hmm. of the world. I don't know everything that's happening, but I feel like I know enough to talk to anyone about maybe things that are happening in the region. 
So that allows you to connect with people, not not just in a journalism context. Even if I, you know, if I run into someone at a at a pub in Dubai or or anywhere, I think that's a skill, and um, it's definitely something that's that's. Um, I don't want to say changed my life, but it's given me access to to the rest of the world because I'm kind of obsessed with trying to understand other countries and other people through a non-Western lens. Does that make sense? It does. Because it's, it's uh, big though, so we need to unpack yeah, that. Yeah. Um, so it, you're trying to understand mm-hmm. people and countries mm-hmm. in a non-Western way. Yes. Okay, say more. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think, I mean, obviously, born and raised in Europe, my mom's from, from Africa, so my background is a little bit different. Um, and I think journalism especially when you're talking about established big platforms, most people that are, you know, heading up these companies, they're all white guys. Uh, Maybe some women now as well. Things are shifting a little bit. But if you look at sort of um, senior management, and that that informs how you cover the world. I mean, you you might make the argument, though, no, no, you know, I've lived in Singapore, I've lived in Africa, but your your perspective is going to be a little bit different. So um, I'm I'm just very interested in understanding people through through their experience, and I try to leave my perceptions sort of at the door. They, they still stay with me. I think we're all we have. Um, you're always going to be shaped by your upbringing and what you've experienced growing up. But I think if you're willing to maybe push it aside a little bit as you're getting to know people it just opens up a completely different type of conversation that you could grow from as well. What was your original question? Because I feel like I've got gone off topic a little bit. <laughs> there was um, one point I wanted to make here. So it was um, unpacking the whole, uh, we are, you're trying to understand people and countries in a non-Western way. And we started off previously with how we structure questions. I asked you, do you have yeah, any questions so, in the bank so, to so, establish so, that? Exactly. Point? So the one question I always try to include in conversations, interviews is, you know, what's your biggest dream and hope for the future? And it sounds really cliche, but again, it's going to allow you to really get to know that person. Absolutely. I think that gives that gives the person an yeah. opportunity or the to it gives you a little bit more than the story because it gives mm-hmm. you the story of the person. Exactly. And the way that you ask the questions would mm-hmm. probably frame differently with this data that's being presented to you. Wow, that's, that's who's left the biggest impression on you um, throughout your career? Wow, good question. <laughs> I think I've, I've changed a little bit. I'm much mm-hmm. more of a cynic these days <laughs> has, and that's okay who has left the biggest impression i would say without without mentioning names perhaps mm-hmm. but when you meet celebrities that are especially you know actors musicians that are the same person uh, off camera okay that i mean those individuals leave the biggest impression because it's real and i think with the majority of people it's not real. And it's a little bit, I mean, obviously growing up in the 90s, I had a deep appreciation of pop culture. Um, but I like real people. So if, um, if you're not real, as, as a, even as a celebrity, I'm not going to connect with you. 
and 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 also if you have a completely different personality off camera what does that say about uh, obviously you're only showing one part of your personality mm-hmm. but i think it's just it's it's a little bit disappointing because we spend so much time looking up to celebrities and celebrating mm-hmm. celebrity culture and i'm very very much against that these days because i think we need role models that are doing real in the real world and if you have a lot of money sure you can launch a a makeup line or (laughs) your own fashion line and turn it into success because you're promoting it yourself and and i'm not saying that um i'm not saying that that doesn't make you a skilled business person if you have you know if you've taken the kim kardashian approach or Mm -hmm. whatever It's, it's smart what they're doing but i think we just have to we have to contextualize it a little bit. And there's so many people that are doing real things in the real world and mm-hmm. solving challenges. And it's not necessarily ego-driven in, in, in the same way. And maybe they're not desperate to be seen. And I'm quite interested in giving people like that a platform. It may not get as many views on, on YouTube or wherever it gets published, but those stories are more interesting. The devil works hard, but Kris Jenner does work harder uh, <laughs> in terms of the Kardashians. Um, who has been a, a role model for you as you've grown throughout your career in how you cover new stories, how you anchor yourself in something that you firmly believe in? Has there any been, ever been anybody that you look up to and go or, or think, wow, this person really stands by what they say or what they're reporting on? I feel like I could align with that. I'd say no. Okay, okay. <laughs> Amazing. It opens it for discussion. Yeah, and it's not to be critical of, of other people, but it, but again, I... How do I best articulate this? I don't really celebrate people in that way anymore. I, th- I think I have more of a holistic view of who people are and... You have the on-camera, on-air persona, and then there's a different person a lot of the time off-camera. I I mean, sure, there's people you've come across in the industry that are really good journalists that um, do amazing work. But for me personally to connect with someone, it's not enough for you to be a good journalist. I think you have to be a good human as well. So if you're able to combine those two, then maybe that becomes more of a platform, sorry, more of a blueprint for how I'd like to see my own career develop or just someone that I that I look up to so uh, I, I think being successful at your job is not necessarily enough because once you find that success especially if you're a name if you're known um, around the world or maybe just in your country at some point it's going to become very ego-driven, whether we're willing to admit to it or not. It's just kind of a natural extension, I think, of, of being known, of being on camera. But it's really dangerous because it, if, if it goes unchecked, then sure, you might still be doing important work in, in Africa or covering conflicts in, in the Middle East. But you um how do i say this you don't necessarily back up those actions in terms of your character 
And I'm, I think because of my humble background, I think because of the fact that my mom was a refugee, I, I, I connect with everyday people. I connect with people who've seen struggle because if you haven't seen struggle or if you're not willing to talk about challenging things that have happened in your life, then why should I celebrate you? Why should I look up to you? I mean, I think we've all worked hard in, in, in our own ways, but there's real value in overcoming struggle and, and sharing some of your most difficult moments, especially if you have a platform. Because people look up to you. They do. I think, um, I mean, we've been connected for a while, um, for a couple of years now. And I mean, I watch your stories and what you post on Instagram and when you're covering certain news stories. And I, in the way that you communicate, which is one of the reasons why I asked you on here, is just, is phenomenal. You, you, you've got such a presence on camera. And when you're speaking, you know, you've got that authority of mm. listen to what I'm saying because it is of value. Mm-hmm. And some, at some point in your career, you probably will have people that are looking up to you that are starting their their journey in um, journalism and news. What would you say to somebody if they had to come up to you and go, "Hey, Jim, I'm starting in this industry. What would be some of your advice for me?" Yeah, so it's it's a little bit of a different era these days, and I've expanded beyond. You know, journalism. Mm-hmm. I've I've done media consulting and and things like that, which has been great. I think you need to find something that makes you unique because it's incredibly competitive, and there might be you might be more talented than the person next door or the person that's interviewing for the for the same role, um, but maybe he or she has better contacts or better know someone within the company that's going to allow them to maybe enter in a in a junior position and then work their way up. I really I think we have to embrace who we are and we have to embrace what makes us unique. And when I when I started out in the media industry in the UK, this would have been the early I think probably from 2009 and onwards, I believe. Um I mean most people were white middle-class, British, a couple of posh people, um, individuals as well, maybe in senior roles. And because my experience is different, I'm, you know, I grew up in Scandinavia and my dad's Swedish. I had a very middle-class background. Um, And my parents weren't necessarily super accomplished, but because I came from a country that still has pretty high taxes, Regardless of how much money your parents make, you're still able to have a decent life, and you're still able to go to university. It's mm-hmm. not a, it's not a class-based society. So, going back to when I when I entered journalism, I, I felt that maybe I didn't belong, and it was difficult to fully embrace the uniqueness of, of, of my experience. So I think you have to find an environment that welcomes that. And I mean, obviously this was more than a decade ago. So I, it's, it's a different, um, I think it's a different beast these days. Okay. But at the same time, a lot of these companies are obsessed about diversity and, and inclusion. Um, and um, which is, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's a good thing. It's a good thing and sometimes a feel-good hack. Well, exactly. So Mm -hmm. I think a lot of it is just window dressing, actually. Mm -hmm. 
uh, which is something that I speak to speak about with my friends all the time. You might be passionate about that when it comes to social media, but <laughs> if, if it's not reflected at an executive level, um, people in decision-making roles within your company, especially in the West, then it's, it's going to be pretty difficult to make the argument that you are pro, uh, pro diversity and inclusion. So um, I would have embraced that much more earlier in okay. my career, but it's but it's difficult because if you talk about if you talk about race, if you talk about communities that aren't necessarily that don't have the same representation, then you risk alienating white people, and if you're alienating the majority, that could be really dangerous for your career. At least that's how I felt back then. So it's it's I think it's a really difficult kind of road to navigate and maybe people are more receptive to having that conversation now mm -hmm. but even if you're having the conversation i think you need to not approach it from a perspective of woke culture but just stick to the facts and make the case that ultimately these companies whether it's media platforms or or other firms that they're going to benefit from 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 the representation especially if you're um, especially if you're covering the world, for for example. So again, it just goes back to what I was saying before that I think it's it's incredibly important that we look. How do I say this? It's really important for me that we don't view the rest of the world through a Western prism because dynamics are really shifting at the moment. Mm -hmm. I think power is kind of moving away from the West towards the East and, and China. Mm -hmm. And it's very easy just to kind of point fingers and say, we're not going to engage with Africa. Or we're not going to engage with this part of Asia because you don't believe in human rights. That I mean, that's the, it's a compelling argument to make. But at the same time, we can't stop talking to people mm -hmm. because once you stop talking to people, it becomes really dangerous. So whether, you know, we're talking about politics or just a willingness to connect with someone in a different country that has a different perspective. If, if you're open to that, if you're open to having the conversation without perhaps getting angry, then I think it's, it's going to make you a richer person. I love that having the conversation without getting angry and it's really easy to talk about something like that in an environment like this where mm. it's it's theoretical. Yeah, absolutely. That's Teamwork. my beef with woke culture. Okay, great. Mm -hmm. um, and when it actually comes down to it, I, you've said woke culture and I'm about to use a woke term, triggered. Uh, <laughs> I, I get triggered really easy if I'm passionate about something. Uh -huh. um, I won't say that I get triggered, but I, I can go from zero to... Mm hundred in a matter of seconds, mm -hmm. which I'm able to, in a professional environment, I'm able to really hone that in and mm -hmm. bring it in because time and place, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, but in a personal capacity, it's a different story. <laughs> in a personal capacity, a very, very different story. Mm. And I, I want to, I want to unpack that a little bit more as well. Mm. Has there ever been a time where mm. you have you know, in your consultancy, in mm. your company, in your producer time, mm. um, in front of the camera where you've been asking people questions mm -hmm. and the answers that you're getting, you kind of feel your body temperature raising up and you're going, mm, 
Uh, but but, but why? Because they're not giving you the answers. Not you necessarily want. the answers that you want, but they mm. they are taking an entirely different view that could have been either unexpected or completely opposite to what you believe. No, it's fine. I, I welcome that. It makes it more interesting. How and and obviously, if you're not answering a question, especially if we're talking about a news piece, mm -hmm. if you're not answering the question and running off in a completely different direction, you're not going to look good on on camera. Okay, there's so much I want to ask <laughs> even more now. Yeah. For uh, the purpose of the podcast is to get better at communication. So I want to pick on that a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I want to ask, particularly with somebody who asks a lot of questions and has their own style in the way that they do it, what makes a good guest? Uh, a good guest is someone who's willing to speak and who will welcome those questions. And um, I think there's a lot of people that give interviews, but they're not really willing to go there. Okay. With you. And if you're not willing to do that, stay home. There's no point. <laughs> and you're not going to come across well if you're if you're avoiding questions. Um I think I think a lot of people have a fear of being interviewed. I mean, that's why media training is much needed, um especially I think in the in the developing world including here because it's a different type of society. You don't necessarily want to get things wrong. But um there's ways to navigate that. And and I think that there's there's always massive value in, in talking and getting your story out. I think it's just a question of how do I do that? What kind of language should I use to uh, to connect with people? Is it your slay area era? Are you on brand? Um, exactly. But again, just go back to the human approach. Absolutely. I, I think it's, we say it all the time. And I think you're a millennial, right? Born 1983, I think so. Yes, yes, you are. Um, <laughs> Slightly old, older than you. <laughs> With millennials, mm. I think we've also been so... The social constructs around us of how we should be a certain way at certain mm. times where we are right now with people going, yeah, be yourself, be authentic, you know, um, connect with people. And Brene Brown preaches mm -hmm. it all the time. And I love Brene Brown about mm -hmm. being authentic and finding that connection. Do you ever find conflict or what would mm -hmm. be the advice you would give to somebody that is in conflict with how they should be in a presentation mode, whether mm -hmm. they're talking to camera as opposed to who they are? Um, it, I think it's a difficult question to answer. Main thing is, don't pretend to be somebody else. Maybe there's a more formal version of, of Andrew, um, and you're happy and comfortable to, to bring him out. But, uh, you, you know, it might be a case of being more formal in terms of your attire, how you dress, but you still speak as Andrew. As soon as you took, take on a persona and you change your voice or, you know, holding back in terms of... Uh, hand gestures and you know those things I think it becomes you probably feel a little bit like an imposter mm -hmm. I'm not good at those things I try to be myself it works within the context of what I'm doing whether it's journalism or consulting I, I don't know if that answers your question it does it does um I think what I'm hearing is you embraced yourself really early at a, at a really, really early age. Um, 
And I think that's, that's helped you mm. shape the way that you navigate through the world. And sometimes I find people trying to be so mm. many different things. I was, I am so guilty of that. Mm -hmm. When I first made a YouTube video years ago, I was trying to be that lifestyle TV presenter that I auditioned to be and never got. And I, somebody actually messaged me on Instagram the other day going, Hey, really loving the content that you're putting out. It's mm. so different to mm. what it was. And I'm, it's so much easier to connect to. Mm -hmm. And have I leaned completely into my style? I think mm. I'm still figuring that out as mm. my, as your confidence grows. Yeah. But again, that, that shouldn't stop you from getting in front of the camera because mm. the camera definitely polarizes mm -hmm. your actions, your gestures, your tone okay. of voice and, how you come across, whether you're monotone or, mm. you know, whether you've got melody. Mm. But yeah, I think you, you leaned into yourself uh, at a really young age because you knew that you had something to give to the world. I think so. And it's, you know, it's still a journey. I'm not perfect. I think since leaving... No, you're not perfect? Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> no, but since since leaving CNN, I've, I've grown a lot. I've um, I started my own company where I'm doing consulting and, you know, creating documentaries and I've done some corporate storytelling. So it's kind of exposed me to the sort of business aspect of things, which I think sometimes when you're in journalism, you're so focused on the story mm -hmm. that you forget about the revenue. You forget about building relationships beyond sources. So all of those things really matter because if you don't have a good network, you're not going to be able to deliver anything. Absolutely. It's, but I, I think in terms of um, in terms of knowing who I am, yes, I. Sometimes you get a little bit sidetracked, but in the last couple of years, I've gone back to sort of my dreams and aspirations of my maybe my late teenage years, early twenties, and I tweet a lot about Africa. I post stories about. The continent, whether it's me traveling, and, and that's just part of my experience. That's just part of who I am. It's not going to resonate with everyone. Mm -hmm. A lot of people that follow me probably are not that interested in Africa. But I think the more you show of yourself, the easier it's going to be to connect with the right people. And, 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 and that's what it comes down to, ultimately, for, for me. So it's not, it's not easy. It's still a journey. I'm learning new things all the time. But I guess I've reached a stage where... I just, I'm not going to apologize for who I am anymore. Either we connect or we don't connect. And I think I'm naturally attracted to people that feel comfortable in their own shoes. A lot of people don't. Mm -hmm. And it creates conflict because I'm willing to speak my mind. And maybe in the past, I didn't necessarily feel like there was always an opportunity to do so because speaking your mind, especially when you're an employee, that's a very dangerous thing. I'm not, I'm not saying that you're going to get fired on the spot, but <laughs> but I think a lot of corporates don't necessarily encourage that, which connects to, I think, this trend of bringing your authentic self to work. Yeah, that's a great thing, but it doesn't necessarily As long work. as your authentic self looks like this. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But I think through through working for myself, through doing freelance work, it's allowed me to kind of remove myself from from that corporate persona. And that's where I've seen a lot of growth in the past 
few years. It's actually, I mean, it's quite shocking. I feel like a different person. Oh, really? And I like this version of myself much more. So if I ever go into a full-time job again, that's going to be, I think it's going to be a challenge. And I would probably have to be very upfront about it with the person that would potentially look to hire me because I don't want to conform anymore. This is yeah. who I am. I know who I am. And if I'm not if I'm not able to embrace that, I mean, maybe you can't like fully be yourself in every mm -hmm. single situation. But there are so many different versions. Mm -hmm. I love the conversations like this. Mm -hmm. There are so many different versions of yourself, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the one version of yourself is going to, when you're presenting, when you're on stage, when you're in front of a camera, I know that when I'm presenting to senior executives and the person that's sitting at the table now, it's still me at a foundational mm. level, mm. but it's a different version because it's mm. appropriate to the environment. And I think, absolutely, you know, bring yourself, bring your authentic self to work. It's mm. great. Um, and you said something that I want to elaborate on. And that was, you know, you, you know who you are, mm. but I also think, you know, the value add you know what you add can bring in value? I do. I think it can be a tough sell mm -hmm. um, for, for some people or maybe companies or whoever you're engaging with. And if it's a tough sell, then you know that's not a relationship for you. You attract the people that are meant for you if you're authentic. You, you do. And I, and I think, you know, maybe, maybe some, I mean, I've certainly, so during my entrepreneurial journey these past <laughs> couple of years, I mean, I've definitely engaged with, people and individuals where I felt like, okay, we're aligned. Um, we have similar values in theory, but then when you, when you're kind of exposed to them in a business context, that's when you perhaps lose respect for, for some people. And listen, I'm not, I think running a business is very different from, from sort of the private or the personal individual but if you're claiming to be <laughs> how do i say this not a dynamic leader but a thoughtful leader and you know you care about your employees and all those uh, things that are trending these days then it needs to be backed up with your actions um, as well and i think there's a lot of people you know they're talking the talk but they're not walking the walk is that absolutely yeah. And that just makes makes me roll my eyes. Listen, I'm not perfect. It's easy for me to sit here and, and diss people. But I think I kind of have that journalist mindset that back it up with actions. If you're not backing it up with actions, then um, unfortunately, I mean, over time, you, you kind of, you see right through people, but you might, you might lose respect um, as well. And I think that there's a huge... I've noticed this with people in my own network. There's a huge disconnect between how they see themselves and how others see them, especially, you know, in this era where you can become a star on LinkedIn, you can be a thought leader, or you have a massive following on, on, uh, on Instagram. And maybe you do have your own business. Maybe that's how you make your money. But that online persona is very different from the reality. Oh, it's like a mic drop moment. I love that. The biggest, the biggest piece of advice that I'm taking away from this, um, you've given such amazing tidbits here and there. And I think one of the biggest things is just being yourself on camera, building mm. that rapport with mm. people really quickly if you're interviewing them mm -hmm. um, by focusing on that human connection mm. and 
leaning into who you are and just exactly. really owning it as you, long as it's you, not hurting anybody as long as you're not disrespecting people and you're able to have a conversation i think it was something that we were touching on a little earlier mm. where we were going it's you enjoy debating and yeah. debating is really healthy because mm-hmm. you generally a debate goes around you have a debate with somebody who's got a different perspective to you and mm-hmm. actually something we were mentioning on the previous episode as well is i try and surround myself with people that particularly in a professional environment Mm. and in this leading with Andrew environment that do not think like me, because that's how you learn. Mm -hmm. That's how you grow. And I think I might go as (laughs) far as to say, that's where you learn to love those parts about yourself. Because when you're with people that maybe think a little differently to you, Mm. they might bring out those parts and they might be useful as opposed to being in a group of people that are like you where the parts that you may not like about you aren't valued in that circle. It's really big. No, absolutely. And, and, yeah. I th- I, and I think that's why you need to have debates. Mm. If you can't have that within your circle, if you share the exact same values, the exact same ideas, I mean, listen, we're not getting any younger. Mm-hmm. You And you're making, <laughs> to maintain relationships in your 30s, especially I think after the age of 35 and uh-huh. upwards, um, it's challenging. Yeah. You have to find time. People are busy. So you are going to make time for people that add value. And, and ultimately, if we're not growing, what are we here for? That is so true. That is so true. Has there ever been a time where you were going or experiencing something really challenging in mm. your career mm-hmm. and you thought, oh, should I pivot or do I stick this out? Um, yes. Okay. Would you like to share? Um, so you have to, you're asking me whether I thought about giving up. Not necessarily giving up, Mm -hmm. pivoting. Mm -hmm. Pivoting is not giving up. (laughs) Okay. 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 (laughs) If you pivot elsewhere, pivot elsewhere where you thought, okay, no, I'll Mm -hmm. stick it out. And Mm -hmm. how did you navigate through that challenge? I think you have to listen to your intuition. When I... When I left a full-time role, I I did some commercial work. Um, I've done long-form, uh, short-form documentaries that are more kind of, uh, I'd like to say marketing-driven, but I, that's not the word for it. I, I think that I have more of a storytelling mindset from that of a journalist. Find a story with a beginning, a middle, and an end, and then if you can't sell it, to an international audience, if you can't explain why this stuff matters, then there's no story. It was really frustrating for me to deal with people in PR and marketing. I had one or two clients in in PR and marketing, and at the end of the day, the money might have been good, but when I looked at the end result and when I looked at the process, I think I reached the conclusion that, you know, ultimately, yes, I think I could do really good work, in this space, but it's not for me because the content doesn't appeal to me. And I, th- I think that's something these companies don't really understand. I mean, I, I do get that if they're hiring you, that obviously they're going to want to push their agenda, but it's just, it's a different time these days. Mm-hmm. You know, we're in a different era. You're, if you're trying to push out content on LinkedIn or social media, it has to resonate with people and it can't be too salesy. So I've reached a point where I can't fake passion anymore and I'm not taking on projects that I'm not 
passionate about. It's tough. I wish I could do that, but I just <laughs> I just don't have the energy. So that's so the challenging part of it, or the the sad part, if you will, is you're potentially missing out on revenue. I think the good part is you're just embracing topics and projects that you're going to pour a lot of love into. And the output is going to be so much better because of that. And I think that's also, I mean, that's, that's, that's one of, um, that's one of the things about getting older, like you have limited energy, you can't run in all these directions anymore. It gives you, you have to be focused in order to have an impact. What do you mean, Jim? I mean, we're going for a run on this podcast. <laughs> um, you may be. I'm, I'm, I'm not doing it. <laughs> I think what, uh, even though doing those things that you weren't necessarily passionate about, I think it made you more passionate about only doing things you're passionate about. Mm. So it, I, I don't think it should stop anybody from exploring any it's healthy career. absolutely it's very healthy it's, i mean i wouldn't have gotten to this podcast had i not made videos that mm. i might not agree with anymore mm. um, th th those many many years ago but this mm -hmm. got me to where we are today so mm. i think the biggest takeaway for today would be when, whatever work you're doing whether it comes mm. to i mean particularly in your profession mm. or how i coach people when it comes to presenting and speaking is just really double down on being yourself yeah. and finding that human connection because that's what comes across on camera and always be prepared and allow yourself to fail as long as you learn oh. from fail. I mean, it's again, it's another cliche, mm -hmm. but I think a lot of people don't no. allow themselves and they're too critical of themselves. I mean, I have friends in my circle, someone I met just the other day, actually, who's overanalyzing every single step she takes and then overanalyzing what others critical analysis what? Yeah. No, paralysis yeah and I, th I think sometimes we'd be very surprised if we knew how little some people how little times others spend thinking about all of our actions yeah so um just learn from every experience even if it's been incredibly tough try to put a spin on it um and try to grow as a human being because because ultimately if we're not growing on a human level, what are we here for? 100%. Thank you so much. I've got rapid fire for you, though. Mm -hmm. So you're ready for rapid fire? Okay. Uh, what is the one thing you learned through experience that had you learned sooner would have changed your course? I think the, ma the value of managing relationships. I, I underestimated Ooh, that. I love that. Three songs on your playlist and why do you love them? <laughs> <laughs> okay so i can't give you specific tracks but uh -huh. I, I i'm spending a lot of time listening to nigerian pop music okay. ethiopian jazz at the moment and actually discovering really great uh dance music out of south africa of all places oh wow okay yeah oh, okay. i'll get some of those so, songs from so you the algorithm of spotify has just changed my life algorithms are the best i enjoy my tiktok algorithm uh what do people get wrong about you all or most of the time i think because i have a certain tone to my voice i think i have natural authority mm -hmm. in my voice and some people think that i might be very dismissive or matter of fact, but I'm actually open to other perspectives. I'm open to the debate and okay. I, I welcome it. Number one, travel hack. <laughs> Number one, travel <laughs> hack. 
travel light if you can. I think that's that's it. And and I mean, obviously, bring all your tech gear, whatever it takes, just to feel at home anywhere in the world. I mean, it's amazing how much the world has changed, mm-hmm. and um, just having your 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 laptop or or your phone. I mean. I film some stuff even on my phone. Brilliant. Um, in 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 my so work. no excuse. Get in on your phone work. to film yourself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but like in in your work, whether you're doing an Instagram live or uh, even doing short documentaries, I mean, it's incredible what we can achieve these days. That's amazing. So travel light and uh, just be ready to to get on the road. If you're always ready, you never have to get ready. Mm-hmm. You're on a private jet. Mm. And you can have three people with you, famous or not famous. Who are they and what are you talking about? Just the topic. Three people? Am I interviewing people on a jet? No, you've just got three people with you. <laughs> if you want to interview them because that's your go-to, <laughs> by all means. Uh, three people on a jet. Interesting. I... Uh, that's tough. I mean, I'd probably, I'd, I'd bring my mom with me because uh-huh. she um, she lives in Sweden, so I don't really get to see her that often anymore. And it's really interesting to see her in different environments uh-huh. and how she reacts to it. So she would be, she would be one of those people for sure. <sighs> in terms of the other individuals, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, a, t- it's a difficult one. Where, where's, where, where, where are we traveling to? Where are oh, we going? Oh, no, don't. Are, we, are fire, we just isolated? Rapid fire. Rapid <laughs> okay, fire. Move, moving on. Moving, moving on. on. Uh, finish the sentence. Getting better at communication is? Key to being successful in life. I love that. Um, Jim, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. Where can listeners connect with you or go and follow? Uh, I, th- I think the best place to connect with me is probably on Instagram. So at Jim Stenman. I'm okay. relaunching my website at the moment. Okay, great. We'll look out for that. And, and we're on LinkedIn as comments. well. Great. Jim, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. You're welcome. Well, there you go. Another episode on communication. Thank you so much for joining us today. Don't forget to like comment, subscribe, and most importantly, connect with us on Instagram at leadingwithandrew. 